Hey guys, it's Sam Roberts. Thank you for checking out another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. If you want to support the show even more than you're already doing by listening, you can for free simply by making sure you download every single week and subscribe to the show. If you're listening on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating. If you're listening on Apple, you can leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling for more content absolutely free. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast and you want even more content, we do a bonus episode every single week. We meet on Zoom. We do all kinds of stuff over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Become a Not Sam shill or don't. Either way, enjoy the show. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, what a weekend in your house. Hell in a Cell, MJF, CM Punk, and the new kayfabe of it all. I've got a lot to get off my chest. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. All right, what's going on, guys? Episode 398 of Not Sam Wrestling. Thank you all for joining lot to talk about this week. We will, uh, there's, I, I've got a whole, I've got so much. I say I've got a lot to get off my chest. I've been thinking about, you know, a year and a half ago, this new kayfabe stuff that this concept that I was kind of toying with in my mind that we've been talking about here on the podcast for about a year and a half, how it relates to MJF and CM Punk and, and all the drama between, with, 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 with the pay-per-view, we talked about Double or Nothing last week at length. But then with the promo on Wednesday, with CM Punk dropping his announcement on Friday, we have a lot to talk about. But before we get there, I had the best time in Orlando over the weekend at NXT In Your House premium live event. It's still, I don't know if this is my third In Your House, whatever it is. I believe the first In Your House I did, I was in the Stanford studio with Scott Stanford. And then I want to say that last year I was in person, but I do know for a fact that this year I was in person because it was just a couple days ago and it was the funnest thing ever. I did put out a little video on social media. I don't know how many people caught it. I don't think that anybody in the building caught it because I didn't tell anybody that I was doing it. I told McKenzie after the show that I had done it, but I dropped, I think five different references to In Your House titles. I'm kind of annoyed because I had a moment for a cold day in hell. I might, did I say it? I wanted to say it'll be a cold day in hell before Wendy Chu wins the NXT Women's Championship. And I don't know if I actually said that. I missed it on the montage if I did. And I definitely am kicking myself because I know in my head there were moments where I could have said bad blood. That's like a really easy one to get out there. And I didn't. But everything was kind of spur of the moment and spontaneous and trying to figure out ways to organically say ground zero and beware of dog and still be on television. I can't stammer through sentences like I do here on the podcast. It's tough. I deserve a little bit of credit for that. So thank you for those of you that are giving it to me. Um, if you haven't seen it, I posted it on Twitter at not Sam. It's all the different in your house titles that I snuck into the pre-show. Um, but super fun time with McKenzie doing the pre-show for In Your House. I want to say this, man. Um, I get the unique perspective of getting to see the PC audience every few months. 
I'm generally, unless something comes up that they need me to do something, generally speaking, uh, I'm only down there for the premium live events. And I've been down there for every premium live event. I mean, I've been, I've done the pre-show for every NXT premium live event for years. Nobody has an NXT pre-show streak like mine. This is the type of thing, you know, like the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. Nobody really realized it until 10 or 11 years in, and then it became a thing. I can't wait until my NXT pre-show streak becomes a thing because I don't think they'll ever be anyone that can match up to it. I just, and you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be t not McAfee, not Charlie Caruso, not nobody. Okay. I beat everybody, but, uh, what I do get to see is how the audience changes and how like, you know, I was there when NXT 2.0 was like brand new. They did a war games pay-per-view or premium live event, you know, a month, six weeks into 2.0. And that was mind blowing. Cause I was watching guys like there were people in that war games match that were having their third pro match ever. And they were still pulling it off. And there was a lot of representation from the previous NXT the black and gold representation has gone away more and more uh, as the 2.0 representation is built and built and built. And it's really amazing that the fan base that goes to those shows have really picked up and are really connecting, I think, more than anybody realizes with the product. I, I That audience was louder and hotter than I've absolutely ever seen it in the Performance Center by a mile, especially for that first match, man. That first match, and that's because, I mean, Santos Escobar is El Rey of all this thing, okay? He is the Meadow Meadow, I think, Meadow Meadow, boss boss, whatever. He's really, really good. Santos Escobar is the man, but I mean, you know, you got Tony D'Angelo in there who, who, who very quickly has has come to this place where there's a lot of attention on him when he didn't have a ton of experience beforehand. He's got two guys with him with very little experience. And then you've got uh, Legato, who obviously between them have a ton of experience. But regardless, you know, with all the silliness and all the whatever anybody wants to say about the way this story is played out in the uh, uh, Summit at Sea or whatever it was called, it worked. Because everything that those guys did in that match had that crowd on fire. I literally, I was outside of the main room, outside of the arena, you know, and I was listening to the way the audience was responding. And I, I was like, are they, I thought they might be piping in sound because it was so loud and everything was getting a response and chants were starting and this is awesome. And I'm like, this is starting to feel like an old school NXT event. And so I went into the arena to, to see if these, Noise, if the noise was legit, if the crowd was really, and I went in there and they were not, they were not piping in sound. It was like a legit response and the crowd was responding in the right way. It was so cool uh, to watch that. I think that the six man tag opening match was for me, my favorite match on the show. Uh, but I would certainly make time. I thought the Joe Gacy Braun Breaker match was a lot of fun. Great story being told there. Uh, I thought the tag team championship match was really good. If you're going to watch two matches on that show, I would insist that you watch that six-man tag. And I would insist that you watch the tag team title match between Pretty Deadly and the Creeds. If you want to see a match that involves people that will 100% 
be stars on the main roster. The Creeds versus Pretty Deadly is the one to watch. Pretty Deadly is what an act, an incredible tag team that they could they could be huge on the main roster yesterday. And the Creeds are the same way. When he when Julius and when they hit that when he hit that four fifty splash perfectly like it was nothing. Oh my god. Speaking of people that'll be stars on the main roster too, Carmelo Hayes, man. Carmelo Hayes showed up. Uh, I think that uh, because he's so entertaining, I think a lot of people forget how athletic Cameron Grimes is. Like what a, what a, what a monster he is in terms of athleticism because that match was great too. So it was a lot of fun. A uh, good way to spend a Saturday night. Love a Saturday night pay-per-view. Don't have to worry about waking up in the morning. Sleeping at the airport hotel, book a flight, come home, still got time to do the podcast. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, uh, it was a really great time. And uh, I'm going to talk about Hell in a Cell in a little bit. I'll talk about Hell in a Cell at the end of the show because we want to go chronologically. I guess, you know, I wanted to start with Saturday because it was top of mind because I was there. And it is one of those things. I don't know. I, I, I feel like maybe NXT should start shooting the show almost smaller. Like right now, I feel like the way the show is done, a lot of the uh, camera work mimics WWE TV, which I get from a production standpoint because you want to train these guys to know how to react to the cameras in the right way. So I totally get it. If that's what they're doing, then don't change a thing. But part of me feels like it would be interesting if they not scale down the production, but just shot it in a much smaller way made it just shot it so that the frame was smaller so that you got a little bit more of the essence of what was going on in that performance center where it felt like all the fans were kind of on top of the ring and there was just there was an energy in the room and i say that because it wasn't necessarily there a year ago but it's there now and i i think you know it's starting to translate through tv but i don't think tv picks up how much energy is really in the room so i don't know if that means shooting it from in, in a way that's more intimate, so it, it just kind of feels like everything's on top of you. I don't know, but it's good, and 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 it is great. You know, you watch it, and you go, it's really interesting to see WWE-style wrestling on this scale, and you can absolutely spot people who are going to be big, big stars. Like I said, like, you're looking at these people, and I was, like, taking pictures. I was getting, like, because it is awesome to be able to sit in the performance center and watch these shows because not many people get to, you know? A few hundred people who are local get to go, but they don't travel state to state. They don't let a lot of people in. So it's like, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a rare thing to get to see these matches performed in this venue in this context. And so like, you know, I was taking pictures of stuff knowing that a couple of years from now, some of these photos, it'll be like, man, I got to see them when. That is so cool. And I think that that's part of the appeal of uh, NXT 2.0 now. It's different. It's different. But I don't know. There's just something about that show that made me feel like we're getting to the place where people aren't comparing it to black and gold anymore and aren't kind of uh, wishing that it was something different and just realizing that NXT is a different product now so let's let's judge this product for what it is, because if you're judging it on its own context, it's pretty good. And I thought uh, 
the dudes that were with us during the pre-show were awesome. Idris is the man. It, I mean, both of them. Idris and Malik were so damn entertaining. Why are you bald? That's an inappropriate question. It was very, very rude. Check out the pre-show if you have it. Check out the uh, pay-per-view in your house. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I want to talk about uh, uh, MJF and CM Punk. So since we last spoke, unless you're on the Patreon and we got to speak a little bit on uh, Friday morning for the bonus Thursday Not Sam Thursday podcast that only the Not, Not Sam Shills get at patreon.com slash Wrestling. Since we last spoke here, episode 397, pretty big things happened. MJF gets announced uh, as being there to speak on Dynamite. He does, cuts the promo of a lifetime, Pipe Bomb City, calls Tony Khan a mark, go cut to commercial, flash, fade, go straight to black, go to commercial, MJF disappears, we never hear from him again. All this talk, we'll talk about all of it. Then CM Punk comes out on Friday. And CM Punk all of a sudden says he's injured. We don't know what the injury is. At first, there's some confusion. CM Punk says, I was willing to relinquish the title, but Tony Khan believes in me. Chris Jericho said he's relinquishing the title. Excalibur says he is not relinquishing the title. And I guess they're doing a, a battle royal this week. The winner of that battle royal will face John Moxley, who I guess was the number one contender. And then the winner of the John Moxley battle royal match will go on to Forbidden Door to face someone, presumably from New Japan, for the AEW championship. It does seem like this is legit because clearly plans are being made right now. But that that that's where where I wanted to talk to you guys today. It does seem like it's legit was a phrase that I just used. And I don't think that that matters in the context of what we're doing. Let's let's talk about this story. Let's talk about the MJF CM Punk story. Hey, sorry for the interruption, but I have to tell you, I know it's hard to keep yourself in shape. I struggle with it all the time, but factor Factor is there to help us out. They always say if you can't stand the heat, stay at the kitchen. I'm sure you've heard that before. Well, Factor is here to give you delicious, healthy meals that are ready in minutes. You don't have to think about it. With Factor, you spend less time in the kitchen, which gives you more time for fun in the sun or in a cool, dark room with your earbuds in. Factor's fresh, never-frozen prepared meals are so delicious you won't believe they're actually good for you. I, of course, have a bias because they're supporting the show, but I made some of these Factor meals for my wife, and even she was like, I honestly can't believe the flavor that these pre-prepared meals have. And she's got highfalutin tastes. Factor passed her test. With 30 meals offered every single week, you'll never be bored with your meal plans. Each meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's faster than ordering a pizza. Listen to what they offer. They have vegan and veggie meals. They have low-calorie options, cold press, juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, plus you can add extra protein and veggie sides to any order. Whatever you're looking to do in this fitness world, or if you just want meals that are easy to get done, Factors got your back. Head to go.factor75.com slash NotSam120. Use code NotSam120 to get $120 off. That's right. 
code NOTSAM120 at geo.factor75.com slash NOTSAM120 for $120 off. Factor, healthy eating made easy. So MJF's motivation starts with all the interviews that he's doing. The Ariel Hawani interview, the Barstool interview, the stuff that he was doing outside of the character work that's happening on TV, where he's talking about being fed up with the company, where he's talking about wanting to make more money, where he's talking about how much other people are getting paid. That's all happening presumably out of character in interviews, not on TV. And it's an important distinction that we're led to believe there's a separate on-screen and off-screen narrative. Because when the off-screen narrative takes the place of the on-screen narrative, all of a sudden, the story becomes totally different. The story becomes real. The, the story, not the motivation of MJF, but the story of CM Punk and MJF, to me, actually starts with the Adam Page, CM Punk promo before Double or Nothing. Adam Page calls out the reality of what's happening with CM Punk. AEW is clearly evolving as a company, and CM Punk is the face that's replacing the elite as the symbol for what AEW is. In this back and forth, in the short term, Punk is set up to be the top guy, the baby face. But in the long term, he's clearly being set up to be a major major villain. Even as a good guy, every time CM Punk brings up AEW and all the talent that they have, he really only brings up Brian Danielson and John Moxley. He only brings up his fellow former WWE superstars. This is a stark change from what Punk was doing when he first got to AEW. Moreover, as CM Punk came out to announce that he was injured on Friday and that he was taking time off, the story was still being told. Is the injury a work? That's not the question. Is the injury real or not? Whatever. Is it part of the story? Yes. CM Punk's red eyes and crocodile tears were far more reminiscent of Shawn Michaels losing his smile than Daniel Bryan being forced to retire. And CM Punk's not retiring. He's out with an injury. I mean, it's not good news, but it's not life-shattering. He'll be back. Furthermore, who did CM Punk mention as potential AEW champions to take his place? Danielson and Moxley only. Not Hangman, certainly not MJF, not Omega, not even Eddie Kingston. He suggested WWE guys as his replacement for AEW champion. But that's not the most important part of the promo. The most important part was the most confusing part. The fact that CM Punk is not relinquishing the title. Now, because CM Punk is not a villain yet, he made it clear that he was willing to give it up. However, AEW president Tony Khan has decided he wants Punk to remain champion, even though Punk can't work. The highest paid person on the roster who wants opportunities to go to other members of the Millionaires Club 
gets to continue to be paid and be the champion while he sits home recovering. This is literally the character that the CM Punk of old fought against. This is 1996, tell me a lie, Shawn Michaels. This is 1993, WrestleMania 9, Hulk Hogan. This is movie star Rock in 2013 winning the WWE Championship from CM Punk. So if CM Punk is now that guy, who is the new CM Punk? Adam Page? Kenny Omega? No, no. Not the talent that was brought into AEW to be the main event. Certainly not. It would have to be the talent that became the main event organically, the way CM Punk did. Who truly became undeniable in AEW? Could it be a spoiled rich kid from Long Island is the new voice of the voiceless? Could the best in the world be replaced by I'm better than you and you know it? This is where the foundation of MJF being built off screen is key. On screen, MJF was making a star out of Wardlow. Off screen, he was making it clear that he was not valued by the powers that be. When MJF didn't show up to his autograph signing 10 days ago, the off screen became the on screen. When word got out to the wrestling journalists that MJF had booked a flight out of Las Vegas on Saturday night, even though no evidence of such a flight was ever presented publicly, and MJF stayed on the West Coast for days after the pay-per-view, it changed the narrative of Sunday's on-screen MJF. Not one person watching Double or Nothing hadn't heard about the MJF controversy. And will MJF show up was the conversation heading into a pay-per-view that featured CM Punk possibly and probably capturing the AEW world title in the main event. This continues to play into MJF being undervalued, even going in to double or nothing. MJF being carried out on a stretcher after the match with Wardlow satisfies two levels of storytelling. Firstly, it puts over Wardlow as a monster. And that was clear watching Dynamite on Wednesday with the fans' response. Secondly, it gives fans watching for the second level of storytelling the impression that MJF is being written off the show, playing back into the no-show autograph signing and the leaving Las Vegas rumors. Going as far as MJF and AEW have, have turned MJF into a rebel. So what exactly is he fighting against? Well, in the past, a pipe bomb promo has helped clarify just that. So why not do it again? MJF's promo on Dynamite was magnificent and had CM Punk's fingerprints all over it in the best possible way. While Adam Page's promo might have reflected fans' perception of what some in the locker room might be thinking, MJF went further. Citing the emphasis on former WWE stars might have reflected some of our perception on the AEW locker room's feelings. 
But what Maxwell did was draw from the critics of AEW that we are all exposed to online. Through podcasts and social media, MJF was able to take from the anti-AEW voice to add to what we see as realism. Calling Tony Khan a, quote, fucking mark, making it seem like Tony Khan was unfit to run a wrestling promotion. This is all stuff that we've heard before, but never from an AEW wrestler and certainly never on AEW TV. AEW took several steps further. They did not acknowledge the promo. They did not air CM Punk coming out to confront MJF, but they knew cell phone footage would leak from the arena. They took down MJF's merchandise, unfollowed him on social, and didn't put his promo on YouTube. Why? Because it's exactly what WWE did to Naomi and Sasha Banks two weeks ago. It's the precedent that was set for us fans to interpret what would happen if a star truly went against the company. It's what we were just taught. Furthermore, what happened after the MJF promo? What was the very next segment? A match between Johnny Elite and Miro, formerly known as John Morrison and Rusev. They followed the promo about favoring ex-WWE guys with a match between ex-WWE guys. And they didn't even acknowledge the irony. This is modern pro wrestling storytelling. WWE's Summer of Punk was Ring of Honor's Summer of Punk flipped on its head. AEW's Summer of Punk is actually the Summer of MJF. There's only one way to go from here. CM Punk will end up as a villain, MJF as a hero. When CM Punk won the title, his record in AEW said 19 and one. Who is the one? MJF. MJF is the only person that has beaten CM Punk. So how far back does all of this truly go? When did it become a work? We will probably never know, nor should we. From his first day, CM Punk claimed he was in AEW to help make bigger stars. If that's the case, this may be his masterpiece. This story is going to make the first MJF CM Punk story look like paint by numbers. Their first story, good as it was, was traditional professional wrestling. It was comfortable. Even when it got quote unquote real, we knew where it was going. This one is different. This one has everyone asking what's real and what's not. This one is new kayfabe. New kayfabe is something I've been talking about on this podcast for a year and a half. Wrestling fans want to be tricked. As much as we want to be on the inside, we want even more to have the wool pulled over our eyes. We want to get lost in the stories being told, but we're not willing to pretend we're stupid. We're not willing to have our intelligence insulted. Wrestling fans know what we're watching. At this point, we've most likely been doing so for many, many years. Not only that, but the entire history of mainstream American wrestling is available to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the cost of a cup of coffee. Not only that, but we're information hungry. We're starving. And there's more information out there than ever. Between social media accounts, 
internet wrestling reporters, podcasters, handsome as they may be, YouTubers, documentaries, and TV, there's exponentially more wrestling information out there and actively being consumed than ever before by a lot. Many fans know so many intricate details of things that aren't on television. And information is passed so quickly on such a scale that the idea of tricking this audience is ludicrous. Instead, what we see often are wrestling storylines that we know are clearly storylines being appreciated by fans. Instead of cheering good guys and booing bad guys, we're applauding the team that came together to create this play for us. It's enjoyable. It's comfortable. It's familiar. Until, that is, something comes along and disrupts our peace and leaves us asking, is that real? New kayfabe is not about cutting promos on TV and making you believe in a gimmick. It's about acknowledging and utilizing the tools of a vastly changed world. Fans' perception of superstars can be incredibly altered by what they perceive is going on off screen. A wrestler can declare something on television in character, but if we've heard they're being an asshole behind the scenes, or they're being pushed too hard by the boss, or they don't want to be working for a company anymore, whatever character work they do on screen simply may not be effective. We've already made up our minds based on off-screen stories. Wrestling has evolved into a very strange art form. Fans do not believe what they see on TV is real, but if they read it on the internet, or they hear it in an interview from a wrestler who sounds even slightly different than they do on television, we will believe it's real. The first example of this is probably Brett and Sean in 1997. Backstage news had been leaked across message boards and email newsletters, and it made their Survivor Series 97 match something very different from what it was when it started. That tradition continues all the way up to today and Roman Reigns, whose current character is really a response to the fact that fans didn't like the old one because they thought he was being pushed too hard. New kayfabe is all about taking advantage of that, allowing certain stories to leak to news sites, knowing it will change the audience's perception, giving quotes during interviews that sound behind the scenes that will make people feel differently about the subject of the interview when they appear on television. Gone are the days when good guys and bad guys would drive in different cars. But here are the days when a story is leaked about the bad blood behind the scenes between two competitors gearing up for a match. Gone are the days of retirement match stipulations, but here are the days of wrestlers giving interviews claiming that their days of wrestling may be winding down. Does that mean that all of these news stories and interview quotes are made up? No, they aren't lies. Or maybe they are. It truly doesn't matter. Whether you create a story based on real events or you create, quote, real events to base a story on, it's all the same. It's the story. It's time to stop asking what's real and what's not. As fans with the internet at our fingertips, we should be digging. We should be consuming. Every piece of content is ours for the taking. But when even after, 
after all of that, we don't know what's real and what's not, we should do our ultimate job as fans. We should be worked. If we as hardcore wrestling fans can be worked in 2022, let's be worked. There is no real. There is no fake. There's just the story. And a good story can work any of us. And that's where we're at. That's what I love. I love seeing this. I love the questions out there. I love trying to follow the story, but we have to just be okay with the idea that it's just a story. By the way, that all just now came off the top of my head. I didn't prepare any of it. It's not like I spent the whole weekend thinking and writing and rewriting and then thinking, and what about this? What about that? All these different angles. CM Punk's the new Shawn Michaels. MJF is the new CM Punk. But there's a lot of influences out there. A lot of Easter eggs. That's why I put all those in-your-house titles in the in-your-house pre-show. I don't know. But look, it's a fun time. It's a fun time to be a wrestling fan. Let's have fun with it. Uh, Hell in a Cell was just last night. If you're if you're watching, if you're listening to this podcast at the time of this uh, drop, uh, I got to do uh, Twitter Spaces with Ryan Popola on the WWE's Twitter account. I believe that that stays up if you want to listen to our breakdown of it. Also, also, I should mention that on Peacock this weekend, we did Ultimate Hell in a Cell 2, me, Paps, Matt Camp, Kaz, and we booked a, a, Hell, in a Shell, uh, Hell in a Shell show. Hell in a Cell show. Generational supremacy was the theme. Every match had to have battles between eras. Uh, the match that we settled on was Cody representing current day, Versus Triple H representing, I believe it was the reality era. It was a weird one. But point being, we taped this, by the way, a week or two ago. I booked him to walk into the cell wearing dusty polka dots. Yes. Look it up on Peacock or I think it's on the WWE's YouTube channel. That might be even easier. I booked Cody's opponent to walk into the cell wearing dusty polka dots. Now, if my ideas are just as good, if not better, than current WWE creative, and that is evident because Cody's opponent was in polka dots, I don't see why I'm not consulted more often on ideas. Just thought I would put that out there. Now, for uh, so, it's, 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 so there's no uh, discrepancies for perfect clarity. The only reason, only reason, that I didn't start with Hell in a Cell coverage on today's podcast is because I taped the first half of the podcast before I watched Hell in a Cell so that it wasn't late at night and I had the entire podcast still to do, including my essay about MJF and CM Punk and New Kayfabe. However, speaking of injuries, coming off of that pay-per-view, my God. Now look, in terms of newsworthiness, I don't know. But in terms of great matches, I'm not talking about the main event yet. Leading up to the main event, in terms of great matches, and this is what's been happening. I, I feel like this has been fairly thematic of WWE pay-per-views. That regardless of whether or not there's a ton of newsworthy items happening at these pay-per-views, the superstars themselves are going out there and they are giving you everything they possibly have to put on a great show. There is no doubt in my mind, and I'm literally thinking about every match, I believe that every superstar on this show 
went out with the intention of giving the best performance that they possibly could. I mean, there were two, at least two different matches where people ended up getting busted open. And I'm not even talking about the, the cell match. It was just because it was so hard hitting. Yeah, Elias was busted open at one point and AJ Styles was busted open at one point. But if, and all good, clean finishes, uh, making short, yeah, I mean, you could say, well, Bianca jumped in and covered, but Bianca's finish was within the rules of a triple threat. The Cedric, you know, was like an uh, uh, interference thing or whatever, but Cedric locked the MVP in the Hurt lock. I mean, yeah, it, there's no, or the Lashley lock or whatever it's called now. There is, there's no getting around that that was, that was clean. Kevin Owens with the clean victory. The Judgment Day with the clean victory. Madcap Moss with the clean victory. Theory with the clean victory. Yeah, it's a good show. Good matches. But my God, this is the type of show that people will remember forever simply because of the main event. You know, Seth Rollins was involved in a Hell in a Cell match that was remembered and will always be remembered for all of the wrong reasons. It was the Fiend match, which we will never speak of again. However, one of the best reasons that that's been erased from history is because Seth Rollins was involved this weekend in one of the best cell matches or WWE matches in general that have been on pay-per-view in a very long time. Certainly one of the best cell matches ever, ever, ever. Cody versus Seth was just something else, man. And, you know, people wonder if it gets monotonous having the same opponent, you know, because Cody and Seth have not only... Uh, competed against each other at the last two pay-per-views, but they've competed against each other at every live event in between every pay-per-view. They've competed against each other in SmackDown Dark matches. They've probably had a hundred matches together since Cody Rhodes came back at WrestleMania. And the reason that that's a good thing is because you get to a place where you can tear the house down, even though Cody Rhodes only has one arm. What Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes is legendary for what he did tonight because he made the choice to do it and because he went through with it. Cody Rhodes is a goddamn legend. Seth Rollins, the fact that he was able to also convey the story that was conveyed in this match, the fact that he was able to be a part of this match that felt competitive and felt dramatic and was interesting and and, and went the distance. Seth Rollins is a goddamn legend. I mean, this is one of those matches that I think people are going to talk about for a very long time. It's rare, especially these days with so much happening. I mean, look at everything that's happened in the last week, just on this podcast alone that we're barely even covering. There were two premium live events just this weekend. There is so much content being thrown at us at all times that it's very, very difficult to think of anything in the context of forever. Cody Rhodes, and Seth Rollins too, but Cody Rhodes is one of these guys who is obsessed with wrestling. And if there's anything that's clear, it's that he has turned Vince McMahon and all of the powers that be in the WWE into Cody Rhodes believers. And should they doubt for even a second, every time he steps into the ring, he reminds them 
why they can be believers. You know, it's very difficult in this day and age to have a real baby face, a real white meat baby face, a good guy, a good guy that is meant to be cheered for that everyone cheers for. Why would I? John Cena had a tough time. Roman Reigns had a tough time. It's a difficult job to fill. Nobody likes a goody two-shoes, but you can't be a good guy if you're not a good guy. Cody has flipped the script on the whole thing. Cody comes in and he's just different and he just feels real. That's the thing about Cody. He feels real and his story feels real. And when you want to add to that story, and this is going back to that, that is it a work, is it not a work? It doesn't matter. Cody Rhodes tore his peck. You could see it. One no makeup on that chest. It didn't rub off. He had one arm. He couldn't use his right arm. But instead of, of, of sitting out, which, I mean, for most people, isn't even a choice. It's just something you kind of just have to do. I said it when I was doing the uh, WWE Twitter spaces last night. If I had a torn pack, I wouldn't podcast. I would take the day off from talking into a microphone because sometimes I gesticulate when I talk and it might hurt my torn pack. Plus, how would I get a torn pack? You know how much you have to do to get a torn pack? Hey, you have to be a very active person. I don't probably don't have to worry about that. But Cody coming in and there were all these rumors going into the match, you know? All these rumors about whether somebody new would debut, you know, even in the language. They did announce. At first it was like, we don't know. Like Cody had had tweeted earlier in the day. I know that earlier in the day, there was like a tweet from like one of the wrestling sites that said Cody's injured. And then 30 minutes after that tweet went out, Cody tweeted a picture from the Allstate Arena of the Hell in a Cell chairs with his face on it. And so you're going like, okay, he's there. It's going to happen. And then on the kickoff show and on the pay-per-view itself, they said, Cody Rhodes has a torn peck, but he's still going to step into the Hell in a Cell. And you go, huh, step in. Does that mean he's going to step in and introduce somebody else? Does that mean... Is The Fiend coming out? Is MJF coming out? Is CM Punk coming out? Is The Rock coming out? Who knows? It would have to be big, right? Because Cody was like one of the biggest signings that you're possibly going to have. And it's like, no, he's going to go ahead and wrestle a 20-minute classic. And he can't use his right arm, no, but he's going to go for a Cody cutter with the left. He's going to do crossroads with the left. He's going to lock Seth in a figure four. He's going to take a table smash. He's gonna, Seth taking that uh, uh, table bump when he, when he frog splashed and missed when Cody rolled out of the way. First of all, just rolling off of a table, just laying on top of a table and then rolling off and hitting the floor, knowing that you have a torn peck is insanity. <laughs> then Seth having to crash through it. I mean, my God. But I mean, bringing out the... The, the Seth coming out in the polka dots and then bringing out the, the weight belt with the polka dots on it. And then Cody bringing out the bull rope and Cody taping his one good arm to the rope and Seth to the other side. And, you know, all the, all the shout outs to Dusty, the design on Seth's, Seth Rollins' kick pads to match Dusty's boots. And then to have, to have Cody be able to wrestle this whole thing and 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 get that victory. And it was just this gruesome, grotesque, 
injury that is visible. I mean, you don't need to be a physiologist. You don't need to have a degree to understand how bad of shape Seth uh, uh, Cody Rhodes was in. It was remarkable. And he left, and it's like, there's no way you can watch that match. First of all, anybody who really, really watches wrestling, and I think that's most of us, most of you guys who listen to the show, like, I think most of us watch that match and leave with just this new tremendous respect for both Cody and Seth Rollins. And by the way, anybody that shits on Corey Graves too, I had to hit that dude up. Because the his calls, man, at the end of that match, saying the fallen angel descended into hell with a broken wing and came out on top or whatever. He said something like that. And I was like, Jesus Christ, is that Corey Graves or William B. Shakespeare? That was incredible. And then he ends with the with the dusty quote as the final call on the show. It was great. I mean, what are we doing here, pal? We're telling stories. It was awesome. And Corey Graves told me that, and I'll tell you guys this, because I'm sure he wouldn't mind me telling you, he came up with that broken, that angel with the broken, the fallen angel with the broken wing call, came up with it on the spot. He swore on the lives of his children. And he that, that man loves his children. So everybody involved, just incredible. But anyone, even if it's the first match you ever watched, everyone has to come out of that match a fan of Cody Rhodes. You can't not. That's the beauty of it, that there is no way that you can watch that match and leave without having love in your heart for Cody Rhodes. And Cody, I mean, just the professional of all professionals, at the end of the match, with tears streaming down his face, kissing the mat. And that's the story right there. Cody kissing the mat with the tears on his face. That's the story. Why did he do this? Why did he take it this far? Because he loves this business. Because he loves WWE. Because he has WWE running through his veins. Because there is truly nothing more important to him than winning the WWE Championship to honor his father. What would Dusty have done? Dusty would have gone to work. Dusty would have made the town. If Dusty were on his way to being the champion, Dusty would have been the champion. And a lot of people were out there going like, Cody Rhodes, Royal Rumble, Cody Rhodes, Royal Rumble, Cody Rhodes, Royal Rumble. There, I truly believe, and I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if Cody's going to need to take time off. I don't know. I mean, he wrestled in the Hell in a Cell against Seth Rollins with a torn peck. I feel like if he takes a couple Raws off, maybe he'll be good by Money in the Bank. I don't know. I wouldn't want to do one match with a torn peck. But, I mean, I feel like you don't give Cody the Royal Rumble. No. Cody wins Money in the Bank. And the night after Money in the Bank, whatever it is, the beginning of July, Cody, what's it, probably July 4th? Isn't is July 4th on a Monday? I'm going to check my calendar right now. Because if July 4th is on a Monday, this is too good. I'm going to check right now. 
Okay, June 6th. July 4th is a Monday. Independence Day is on a Monday. That's the Monday after Money in the Bank. Cody Rhodes, whether his peck is healed or not, goes to Money in the Bank and he gets that briefcase. And on Independence Day, July 4th, Cody declares that he will be cashing in his briefcase at WrestleMania. We find out on the 4th of July that in April, Cody goes to the main event of WrestleMania. And we spend the next, what's that, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April. We spend the next nine months aware that Cody is going to WrestleMania. And within that nine months, maybe someone comes along and says, well, Cody, if I can beat you, I get the briefcase. Maybe that's a stipulation somewhere. As Roman's got these other opponents looming, Cody is always somewhere in the distance, knowing Cody's coming. You can beat this guy, you can beat that guy. And we also know that we're not going to get that big Cody championship match until WrestleMania. We know it's coming because we found out on July the 4th, but Cody doesn't need to walk around with that briefcase. Cody ain't cashing in. Cody's cashing in at WrestleMania. That's what we find out, and we find out straight up on July 4th. We get the Cody clock on at 8 p.m. At 9 p.m., Cody comes to the ring. I don't care if it's Roman Reigns. I don't care if it's Drew McIntyre. I don't care if it's Bobby Lashley. I don't care if it's Seth Rollins. Because I'm cashing in my Money in the Bank briefcase against the WWE champion. And I'm going to do it at WrestleMania. Come on. After tonight, there's no way. He's going to be unstoppable. You don't have to worry about him being over anymore. You don't have to worry about whether he's the guy anymore. He's the guy. And if we know he's already, that way you don't have to, he's already on top of the mountain because we know he's going to WrestleMania. And in the meantime, he could just stack up W's, stack up W's, stack up W's. And he can sit there and we can have an opportunity to do Roman versus Cody. This ain't, whoa, Cody's here from AEW. Now he's facing Roman Reigns. This is cool. This is Cody with a year of victories under his belt having had the most remarkable year that maybe anybody's ever had versus Roman Reigns, the only person who has maybe had an even better year than Cody, the immovable force versus the irresistible object. Strike that, reverse it. Because that's what we've got at WrestleMania, and we find that out on July the 4th. Now, who knows? In the meantime... Drew McIntyre is dishing out challenges for the the castle at the Cardiff or whatever it is. Carnage Castle Cardiff pay-per-view in the UK, September. By the way, Roman's got two titles. Roman, maybe Roman loses the WWE title. Maybe it's maybe Cody goes after the WWE champion. Maybe Roman loses the Universal title. You know, it doesn't have to be both titles on the line. There's a lot of things that can happen in nine months. But I'll tell you what happens nine months from July 4th. Cody has a baby. And that baby is the main event of WrestleMania. Beyond the Hell in a Cell match itself, I thought uh, my 
favorite. I love what happened with the Judgment Day tonight. You know, the Judgment Day is uh, is has been one of those groups that it's like I see it, I see it, but is it there? You know what I'm saying? Like it could be there or it might not be there. And I thought that tonight it was there. Tonight was what the Judgment Day as a faction needed because they gelled well as a team. Uh, they got the victory in a good way where they still had to, you know, use a little bit of interference. They were, they were still doing some chicanery. They were still villains, but they were a solid team. And if you watch the end of the match, and trust me when I tell you, if there is anybody who is a devil for the details, it's Edge. At the end of the match, Edge, Damian Priest, Rhea Ripley are all standing over Finn Balor. Finn Balor is huddled down and AJ Styles is nowhere to be found. Liv Morgan is nowhere to be found. And you know, on Freddie Prince Jr.'s podcast, he told a story about a, a storyline that, that he had for Karma when Karma first came to WWE. And he had this great analogy. And I don't know if it came from him or if it came from Karma, but they talked about a, a, a predator who instead of hunting their prey, was coveting their prey. And I felt like when you looked at what the Judgment Day were doing, they didn't, there was an injured gazelle in front of them. And they didn't hunt it. They didn't devour it. They didn't consume it. They almost coveted it. They almost were sitting there animalistically protecting it. In that moment, it really felt like the first step in bringing Finn Balor in to this unholy family that Edge has put together. And I just thought it was a really cool moment. I thought that that they had a really good showing. As I said, all the matches were good. The triple threat was great. What a great way to open the show. Hot, hot, hot match. I loved the middle of it where there were the near falls and the submissions from Becky and Asuka. You know, definitely feeling like because they could have done that, right? If they wanted something like unthinkable to happen, something wild to happen, Becky could get a decision over Asuka. Asuka could get a decision over Becky. And now Bianca's got to fight from underneath again. I don't think it would have been a good idea, but it would have been something to just like uh, pop a reaction. Luckily, they decided not to do that. And I like that it, it, it really portrayed Bianca as learning, as being smarter, as somebody who's evolving as a champion and who's really like filling that, that role, you know, a lot of times with the good guy champions, the they're, they're made to seem almost naive, right? Almost too good. But here it's like Bianca keeps learning these new skills. And, and, uh, and I feel like, uh, like it was executed very, very well. Um, you know, I, I think that the, we're going to see what's next for Ezekiel. I'm sure I would imagine that the Kevin Owens Ezekiel story is pretty much over. You know, he didn't prove that he was Elias, but he did hit him with a stunner and pin him. So, you know, it was very funny when uh, Bobby Lashley took that fan's replica belt championship. God damn it, pal. It's a championship. I mean, it's a replica championship, so it's not like he won it doing anything. He just paid like 300, 400 bucks for it. But still, replica championship. But Bobby Lashley holding it up, all I could think of was like, you know, in the moment, he just takes it from a guy who's in a group of people. I wonder if that guy got his uh, replica belt back. If so, 
than for everybody that's ever been made fun of for wearing replica titles at, at wrestling shows. You're not the champion, man. Why are you wearing that replica title to the show? Because you never know. Bobby Lashley might need one. Bobby Lashley might want to tell the world. I think that there's a lot of opportunity out there, man. I think that uh, that you have to think about where WWE is going to go, right? Because if Cody does have to take any amount of time off, there's already Brock isn't there. Charlotte's not there. Ronda wasn't at this pay-per-view. I don't, you know, I'm assuming that she's not off long-term, but she wasn't at this pay-per-view. Roman is apparently working a lighter schedule. You know, if Cody were, God forbid, to start missing shows, Randy Orton's not even on the show right now. Like, there, there, there's a real lack of top star power. There's a lot of uh, second-tier, no disrespect intended, star power, but a lack of really top star power. And at the moment, Edge has kind of taken a step down in order to bring people up with him, which I think is a great spot for Edge. I love that Edge is doing something now where it's fresh. It's new. It's not based on what was before. It's like, this is what Edge is doing today. But that said, Edge of the Judgment Day is not wrestling for a world title right now. You know what I'm saying? So I do, I I, I think, I with the... The, with the fact that they moved Money in the Bank from uh, Allegiant Stadium to the MGM Grand, SummerSlam is still coming up. Cardiff is still coming up. Crown Jewel is still coming up. I think that you're going to see WWE start throwing some fire now that Hell in a Cell is done. I think that, that you're going to see WWE bringing some people in for the summer. They've just added a ton of live events. They're doing more live events than ever. I don't think that they decrease their star power and then add live events. WWE is a very smart company. I think you're going to see people coming in. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see John Cena come back. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see somebody like a Bray Wyatt come back. You know, I I, I think that, that some of this stuff is going to start happening. I think you're going to start seeing some more call-ups from NXT, but that's not going to fill out your main event scene. You know, I think as you build Cody and head him towards WrestleMania. Because like I said, I don't see him in the world title scene before WrestleMania. It could happen, but I don't... I think that that you're going to have to bring up some people for Cody to go through. I think Bray Wyatt's a great opponent for Cody. I think Bobby Lashley could be a great opponent for Cody, even though he's a good guy now. I think uh, Drew McIntyre could be a great opponent for Cody. That would be good guy versus good guy. I think John Cena is the opponent for Cody. I know people are throwing around Austin Theory versus John Cena at SummerSlam, but Cody Rhodes versus John Cena at SummerSlam. I've said it on this podcast before. That's the match that that I want to see. I've been wanting to see. That's that's the one for me. So yeah, what a weekend. What a week. Can't wait to see what's coming next. Uh, I'll have a video of my little new kayfabe essay that I did earlier in the show going up at youtube.com slash not Sam wrestling. There's not Sam and there's not Sam wrestling two different YouTube channels. Subscribe to both. We'll see you next week. Unless you're on Patreon, in which case I'll see you sooner. Listen to uh, the Twitter spaces. If you go to WWE's Twitter, go on Peacock, watch the in your house pre-show, watch Hell in a Cell. I think you'll see me sprinkle in through some uh, different uh, wrestling shows throughout the week. Pay attention to my Twitter and whatnot. And uh, we'll see you soon. Have a good one, everybody.
Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.